ask you to grab a Bible if you would, and let's go to Psalm chapter 92, verses 12 through 14. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 14. I'm going to warn you, I am from Tennessee, um, so I was, I'm a little country bumpkin, <laughs> and uh, I'm born and raised in East Tennessee, and so when you guys were saying Isaiah in that song, I was saying Isaiah. <laughs> Well, praise the Lord. So uh, if you don't understand the words that are coming out of my mouth later on, just buy the tape or something, listen to it again, get a translator. I don't know what you need, but I'll say y'all probably a couple times a day instead of you all. And uh, in the South, we're so lazy, we can't say two words, so we just combine them. You and all, we say (laughs) y'all. Anyhow, it's all the sweet tea. But anyway... (laughs) <laughs> somebody <laughs> I heard somebody the other day said they said the south will never rise again because because they're too fat <laughs> from all the biscuits and gravy <laughs> it's true we're big I'm the skinniest one there honestly and that's not saying much so I'm, although I have been going to the gym I don't know if you can tell this shirt might not represent like it should, but Psalm 92, verses 12 through 14. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like the cedars of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in an old age. And they shall be full of sap and very green. How many of you are thankful for a God this morning that no matter how old you are, you can still bear fruit in your life, even at the end of your life? Come on, somebody. If, you think, if, you, if you're thankful for a God who has a whole life plan for you, amen. So it doesn't matter what your age is in this place. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you that you would be green, that you would be very full of sap, and that you would produce much fruit, even in an old age. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of these cedars of Lebanon, and I want to talk to you in particular about three things. I want to talk to you about their roots, their fruit, and their fragrance. And I believe that at the end of this service, God will have spoken something to you that will encourage your life, bring strength to you, and help you go into what you have to do on Monday with new strength, new zeal, and maybe a new perspective in your life. Does anybody believe that God can do that today? Because if we came to church just to hang out, we're wasting our time. I believe that he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And he can do something powerful in our lives, even something supernatural in our life today. Amen to that. So I'm going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you.
Thank you so much for bringing us together. Thank you for this community of believers that uh, I love so much and I'm so grateful for. Thank you for what they mean to me and thankful, thank you for what they mean to this city and this community and how they're changing it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen. I want to read a scripture to you in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. It says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. The challenge here in Colossians is that we would continue to live our lives in him, rooted and built up in him. I am thankful that I have been saved by grace through faith, not of works, but now that I am saved, I want to continue in the Lord. I don't want my experience with God to stop the day that I confessed him as Lord. I want to continue in the Lord to be rooted and grounded in him. And when you look at these cedar trees that you find here in the book of Psalms, these cedars of Lebanon, a very interesting thing about these cedars is that they could grow 35 to 70 feet high. There's even legend of cedars that have been 80 to 90 feet high. But the reason they were able to grow to such incredible height is because of the root system of these cedars of Lebanon. These cedars in Lebanon would be situated up on a mountain and you could literally find the root systems of these cedars thousands of feet below the surface. So you've got a tree that's 35 to 70 feet high, but it's supported by a root system that goes thousands of feet deep. Their circumference is massive and huge, but their root structure is even bigger and stronger. Stability comes from the root system. Now, you understand this because you look at a tree and you understand that it's not just hanging out there. You understand that there's something beneath the surface. But the Bible compares us to a cedar of Lebanon. In other words, what God is saying to you is, I want you to go deeper than you go high. I want you to go in order for you and necessarily to go higher, you're going to have to go deeper. A theme for our church this year has been we're going deeper. And where we get that is where Jesus told his disciples to launch out into the deep water. And he didn't tell them to go into another body of water. He told them to go into the same body of water they had been in the whole time. But he said, if you'll go out a little bit deeper, you'll be able to catch a, a, a number of fish that you can't even contain. And I'm telling you, I believe with all of my heart that God isn't just speaking this to our church, but God is speaking this to our nation as Christians all over the world. Let's just go a little bit deeper with God. Let's move beyond the surface relationship that many people have, a Sunday, maybe a midweek, maybe a small group, but let's make God our everything. Let's make our home in God as God has made his home in us. Is anybody with me this this morning. Do you, do you believe that God has a deeper place for you to walk in? Now, very often when we think of deeper, we think we got to pray harder. We got to read our Bible more. We got to do more. But what happens in the deeper place is sometimes we're doing the same thing. It's just that God adds a different perspective to the thing we've already been doing. Sometimes God shows up in a new way in an old situation. Very often people come to church and they think I'm going to go home and when I get home on Monday, everything in my life is going to be different. Very often you find that not to be true. She's the same crazy person. 
than she was on Sunday. And you go home and you're like, God, what are you doing? God isn't trying to change your spouse. He's trying to change your perspective of your spouse. And so if we could get a perspective change, God could really do something incredible in our lives. So I, I, I think that these roots really speak to us about so many incredible things. First of all, I said stability comes from the root system. Now, when I first started working out again, it had been a long time. It had been a long time since I had worked out. And the main reason I worked out is because I have a, I have a philosophy that I live by. I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back over my life and say, I wish I would have eaten that. This is my life philosophy. Like, I don't want to get to the end and say, man, I should not have said no to that cheeseburger. You know what I mean? So I, I, I work out so that I can eat, basically. <laughs> Whatever I want. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not working out for a six-pack. You can keep your six-pack. I like cheeseburgers and french fries and milkshakes and ice cream and pizza. You can have your six-pack. So, yeah, I, start, I started working out, and I was really frustrated with my ability to, to bench press. And I'm not going to tell you what I was bench pressing, but it was embarrassing. You, you, you would look and you would think, wow, you should be able to bench press more than your 12-year-old daughter, but it was not happening. And uh, I was frustrated, so I called a friend who's he's, he, he's able to bench press a lot. And uh, so we started talking, and he said, Robbie, it's not that you lack strength, it's that you lack stability. You're weak in areas because you haven't worked out in so long. You're weak in areas that you don't realize you're weak in. And you've got muscles that you haven't used in forever. And so you can't just walk into the gym and start to throw up weight when you have no stability. And he said, what you need to do is there's a, there's a ball in the gym. It's called a stability ball. There's, there's nothing stable about this ball. I don't understand why they call this ball a stability ball. You get on it and you feel like your life is about to fall apart and you're confessing all of your sins and you're just praying that you can get to the end. And he said, you need to get on this thing and you need to do planks, you need to do push-ups, you need to do sit-ups because what you need to do is you need to create strength in areas you didn't know you were weak. And what God does in our life and the reason that God allows storms and issues and difficulty to come into our life is because what God is doing is he is creating stability in us so that when something more severe comes, we have strength in an area we didn't even know we needed strength in. Does anybody hear me this morning? And so that's why God allowed you to go through the thing you're going through. It wasn't because God wanted to hurt you. Matter of fact, God loves you. His plan for you is good. It's not evil. So if God is taking you through a difficult situation, it must mean that he is preparing you for something even more difficult. And so he needs you to be strong in an area where you didn't even know you were weak. So he's creating a structure, a root system in you that can sustain you no matter what you walk through. So the reason you go through shaky situations is because God is developing strength in you. The second thing I see after their roots is their fruit. The cedar not only sends roots down deep, but the cedar draws up sap from the ground. Because this is the truth about life. Whatever you are planted in, you will draw from. The reason some of your lives are full of so much drama is because you're planted in drama. And you need to plant your life in something different. Fruit is the result of excess life. Apples are not just the result of bring, being an apple tree or planting an apple seed. 
there has to be enough in the ground for the tree to draw from, that there's excess life in the tree, that it makes its way out onto the limbs. So the result of, of fruit is this inward flourishing to the point where we overflow. That's why God gives to us good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He doesn't just give to us good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and end it. He gives us good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Because God's desire for us is that we would have fruit. Matter of fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the, I, I, I am the vine, you are the branches. My Father is the vine dresser. He that remains in me will bear much Fruit Fruit is the result of deep roots. And fruit isn't the result of trying to bear fruit. Fruit is really the result of faithfulness. You cannot separate faithfulness from fruitfulness. And you cannot separate fruitfulness from faithfulness. Fruit is not the result of, man, I just want to be fruitful. Man, I'd love to be fruitful. All of us in this world, all of us in this room want to be fruitful. Matter of fact, there are a lot of people in this room that are frustrated with life because you don't feel fruitful. You don't feel like you're progressing. You don't feel like you're going anywhere. And so fruitfulness is not really the result of trying really hard because there are a lot of people trying really hard and bearing no fruit. The reality of being fruitful is that you are faithful. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So it's about remaining. So in order for the root system to go deep, it takes time. A lot of people want to be overnight sensations. And a lot of people want to be somebody in a moment. But very often you look at somebody and you say, man, it's impossible. How how did they get there? How did they go through that and get to where they are going? It's because now that they are in the limelight, they have through process developed a structure that can maintain that. That's why you see people come on the scene and then disappear because they didn't have the thing necessary to keep them on the scene. But when you have gone through something, you develop in your life this process that has developed a structure in you that even though you might get bent over, you're not breaking and bowing down. Does anybody hear me in this play? So there are things that happen and we wonder, man, why, God, why are you doing, why are you? It's because God is doing something in us so that we bear much fruit. And he says, I want you to bear in John 15, he says, I want you to bear fruit that remains. See, everybody wants to arrive but very few people want to abide. Very few people want to remain. But let me give you some scripture. Psalm 1 and 3 says, Blessed is the person who delights in the law of the Lord. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither, whether whatever they do, prospers. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, the only way spring gets here is if we go through winter. And very often we look at people's lives and we look at maybe a season of their life where they're prospering. And maybe we look at our life and we're not prospering. We think something's wrong with us. No, it's just winter. Spring is coming. If you'll just hang in and remain for just a little bit longer, spring is coming. Spring is coming. So don't get season envy. Don't look at what God is doing in somebody else's life and think that you have to be, you don't have to keep up with the Joneses. God has a plan for your life and it might be spring for them and it might be winter for you, but your spring is coming. You got to believe this about God. You got to hope for the best. 
Joshua chapter 6 and verse 14 says, So on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and that they did this for six days. How many people quit on six? Don't stop on six. You're like, man, I have done this forever and ever. I have given in this offering. I have come to this church and it seems like it's been forever and the thing that I've been asking God to do, it doesn't seem like he's doing it and so many people quit on six. They walk out the door, they get mad at God, they get mad at the pastor, they get mad at the leaders and they say, this thing doesn't work but it's not given to the quick, it's given to the faithful. It's not given overnight, it's given to those who remain and I'm telling you something, when you look at what is happening in this church, it's not the result of just Bishop Green. It's the result of a father who was faithful and a mother who was faithful. And now they're sitting on the front row and seeing the fruit of what God can do. If you will just stay faithful to God, if you will just remain, remain. Because Joshua 6.15 is coming. He said on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak like any other day. And they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. They did the same thing, except on that day. I'm telling you, there's an except on that day for me. There's an except on that day for you. There's an except on that day. You know, there's a day when I come and I give in that offering. There's a day when I come and I say that prayer. There's a day when I come and I'm just faithful to be a husband. There's a day when I just show up and take my kids to the park. There's a day when I'm just faithful to take my wife on a date. There's a day when I'm just faithful to remain. There's that day that I did all the things that I've been doing before and wasn't getting any result. But now there is that day, except on that day, some Something was different on that day and God has a that day for you and for me except on that day they circled the city seven times and there was a difference they they shouted victory came and walls came tumbling down I got I got it when I'm reading John 15 I noticed something that frustrates me I don't I don't know if anybody else reads the Bible and, and you say God why 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 would you do that does anybody ever think that? I think that a lot. I think, God, why in the world would you do it like that? Because one of the things Jesus says that I have issue with in John chapter 15 is he says that those that bear fruit, that God prunes them. I thought, God, if I'm being faithful, why are you cutting me? I get it that you're cutting the people that don't trust you and have any confidence in you. I get it that they get cut off and thrown into the fire, but why are you cutting me? Why are you messing with me? I'm fruitful. Why would God come in a season of your life and you're being fruitful and your job is going in a great direction and you get fired? Why would things be going wonderful and it seems like you're headed up the ladder of success and all of a sudden the ladder gets ripped out from under you and you're left on the ground crying and hurting. Why in the world would God cut us? See, what God understands is what we see as a setback is not a setback at all. It is really a cutback. Now, I need you to understand something because I love football. I love football so much and I don't love your team that much, but I really love football. I do. And uh, and one of my favorite plays in football, one of the easiest plays is when you're playing like just out in the yard or something with your family on Thanksgiving or whatever. Even if nobody knows anything about football, you can teach them this one route. It's called the cutback. I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of a football, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever that word is. And uh, 
So what you do is you tell them, and you draw it on your hand. You do it on your hand. And so you say, hey, hey, uh, the fast guy, you're just going to run. You're just going to run down the field. But um, I would tell my brother, because <laughs> you didn't get that. He's not fast. Um, I, would tell my bro- I would tell my brother, hey, you're going to run a cutback. And what he does is he would run out, he would stop really quick, and then he would cut back. And what he was doing was he was creating space. He was creating space for me to get the ball to him. Three things that I notice about pruning. First of all, when you're dealing with younger branches, the first year when you're dealing with the vine, you're not supposed to allow the branches to produce fruit because the branch could be destroyed by the weight of the fruit. So very often, you're asking God when your moment's coming, and God's saying, it's coming. I'm just protecting you from something that if I gave it to you now, would destroy you. I'm telling you, if you're in a season of unfruitfulness, you need to just go ahead and throw your hands up and say, God, thank you that you are not giving me something that I can't handle right now. Thank you that you are taking me through this season where it seems like everything in my life is falling apart, but God, I'm thanking you that you are protecting me in this moment. The second thing I notice is that older branches, you cut older branches back so they don't grow too far away from the vine and produce inferior fruit. Because some of us folks that have been around for a little while, we get to this place where we don't think we need the vine anymore. We're a branch, baby. We got fruit all over. We're fine all by ourselves. And so we get cut back so that the vine dresser, God can let us know that, hey, you are nothing without me. Unless you stay connected to me, this whole thing falls apart, baby. So you make sure that you stay close to the vine. And then there's seasonal pruning. You prune them when they're dormant because, listen, they bleed sap in dormant seasons and you need to, them to hold on to sap. And when they, lo- they bleed sap, they literally lose strength. And some of you are in a season where you're in a seasonal situation, you feel dormant, and what you need to do in seasonal situations when you feel dormant, you need to hope in God. It's like the psalmist said, why are you so downcast on my soul? Why are you so why are you so tired? Why are you so frustrated? Why are you so angry? Why are you so lost? He said, put your hope in God. I love that he says, put your hope in God, because we've got to understand something about hope. Without hope, faith is unemployed. Hebrews says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. So we have faith because we have something to hope for. If I already have what I want, then what's, what's the point in faith? And so the thing that gives my faith something to do is what I'm hoping in. 
And so that's why hope is so important. Hope is not this idea. Hope is not this promise that a politician makes. Hope is not something that you can buy, something that you can purchase, something that you can put in your car, something that you can put in a CD player. Hope is this confidence that you put in God himself that says, if it's not good, God is not done. Because I understand something about scripture. God has promised me that my future and my ending will be good. He said, I have come and give you life and life more abundantly. That's the God kind of life. That's a Zoe kind of life. He also said that he has a plan for us, a future for us that's not harmful, but it's hopeful and it's a desired end. He's got hope for us. So I put my hope in God and it gives my faith something to do. Some of you guys need to get hope again. You need to find hope again. You need to put your hope in the Lord again because your faith is inactive and it's not working because it's unemployed. You have to have hope. Galatians, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 37, 6 through 7. I'll talk to you about this man named Joseph for just a second. But Joseph, like a lot of us, God spoke something into his life. He was excited about it. And Joseph goes and tells his brothers on a couple of different occasions about this dream that God has given him. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 6 through 7, he says, guys, listen to this dream. He says, I was out in the field in this dream. We were all together. We were tying up bundles. And suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. And then again in Genesis 37 and 9, he has another dream. And he says this, listen, I've had another dream. And he said, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. And the next thing you know, Joseph finds himself in a pit. Now think about this. Joseph's dream is that he would be elevated above his brothers and they would be bowing to him. But Joseph's reality is that he's in a pit. He's lower than his brothers and his brothers are elevated above him. How in the world do you have a dream that says you're going to be elevated and your life looks like you have been demoted? How in the world do you make it through that? Hope. You hope. If God spoke something to me, the God who spoke it is a faithful God. If he speaks it, his word says, it will not return unto him void, but it will accomplish the thing that he sent it to do. So God spoke this into my life. This must be my reality at some point. But at, some, but, but at this point, this is where I am. So he's looking up at his brothers, not realizing and not really probably even understanding that this was the beginning of what God, this was the beginning of the pruning in his life. One of the things that Joseph needed to understand and we all need to understand is that they can take his code of favor, but they can't take his calling. When they took that code off of Joseph and they took it back to the father, Joseph's code of favor was taken off of him. And even though in your life it might look like favor has walked away from you, your calling hasn't walked away from you. This is what a cutback looks like. The cutback, I told you, it's necessary for God to create space to get something to you. 
Sometimes God will remove something that is good so that he can replace it with something better. That's why if God ever asks you for something, go ahead and give it up. Because God never takes something that says, have fun, I'll see you later. God always gives you something better for the thing that he took from you. Because they did not need a brother. They needed a deliverer. Sometimes God removes you from people to replace that with something better in your life. People abandon you. Don't worry about it. God has to separate you very often from people to bring you into your purpose. I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, he said, son, he said, there's no way you'll ever be able to preach with fire until you've been through fire. <laughs> so fruit. Fruit is the result of remaining. Fruit is also the result of the words that we speak with our mouth. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. One of the things you've got to be doing to make sure that you're producing the fruit that God wants for your life is you need to interrogate your thought life. Have you ever thought something and you thought, stop thinking that, stop thinking that, stop it. My son came to me one time. He's like, Dad, I've been thinking about this. And I'm like, just stop. He's like, Dad, thanks for the advice, bro. Bro, you're so wise. He's like, if I could stop, I would stop. I was like, wow, that's, he's got a point. And so we began to talk just a little bit. And I thought, God, how am I going to help him destroy this thought in his life? And he said he's got to take captive his thoughts. In other words, he's got to arrest his thoughts. When you arrest your thoughts, one of the first things that happens to you when you get arrested is you begin to get interrogated. And one of the things we've got to begin to do with our thought life is we have to begin to interrogate our thought life. We've got to say, okay, if so if the enemy is telling me this, then that means God must be saying something completely different to me than what the enemy is saying to me. Because the enemy, he's the he's a liar. He's the father of lies. And so if he's telling me to stop, it must mean that God wants me to go. If he's telling me I'm nothing, it must mean that I am something. If he's telling me I'll never be anybody, then it must mean I'm going to be somebody. If he's telling me that I'm a failure, then it must mean that I'm going to succeed in life because whatever he's telling me, it's the opposite of what God has planned for me. And so I understand something. So when the enemy comes in and he brings a thought into my life, I take it captain. I'm like, why are you here? The only reason you're here is because you must be here to distract me from the thing that God really has for me. Notice this about Jesus, that when Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted, tempted he has already been to the waters of baptism and in the waters of baptism one of the things that happens is God says he looks down a dove comes and sits on his shoulder and God looks down on his son and he says from heaven this is my son in whom I am well pleased and when he gets into the wilderness the first thing the enemy does is he says if you are the son of God turn these stones in the bread because the one thing the enemy does not want you to know is who you are in Christ but Jesus went in there and he had already been told by his father who he was. And so when he walks into the wilderness, he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You can go ahead and try to tempt me, devil, but you don't know. I know who my father is. Hey, I know who my dad is. Say whatever you want to say. I know who I am in Christ. So we have this power to, out of our mouth, begin to literally frame our world. The Bible says that by faith, the worlds were framed by the word of God. So we have the ability with our words to frame our world. 
If you don't like your life, don't get mad at anybody but you. Because you are eating the fruit of what you allow to take root in your life. Everybody gets so mad at everybody else. This election is funny too because everybody's mad at everybody. And the, the thing is, is this November, I cannot, I'm going to go vote, but I cannot and you cannot control who gets in the White House. But you know what we can't control? Who gets into my house? Who gets into our house? Who gets into your house? I might not have any say, and my vote might not mean a whole lot, but I'm telling you what I have control of, who gets into this house. See, it's not about what's happening around me that really hurts me. It's the thing that's happening in me. You know, a boat doesn't sink unless the water gets inside the boat. So you can throw the waves and you can throw the wind. As long as the water doesn't get inside, I'm going to be all right. And that's the thing about what's happening in the world today. I'm not going to let what's happening on the outside get on the inside of me and cause me to hate people and cause me to yell at people and cause me to get frustrated over something that you know what it doesn't matter who gets in the next morning God is still going to be on his throne there wasn't an election on November 4th to take God off his throne he's still going to be seated high and lifted up his robe is still going to be the one that fills the temple the earth is still going to be the Lord's and the fullness thereof Woo, I feel that so I, I, I know it's important but you know what God sets kings and queens and people into position and he even controls the heart of kings. It's like a river in his hand, the Bible says. So it doesn't matter who gets in the White House. If God wants to, he can slap them around and make them do whatever he wants them to do. Just ask Nebuchadnezzar. He'll make them bark like a dog if he's got to. Act like a wild animal if he wants to. So I just trust God. Can somebody say amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. me in here their root their fruit and their fragrance the cedar was exported all over the world because it was rot free and bug free it had an incredible smell and fragrance Solomon's chariot was made of it. The temple was made of it. Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Our life has a certain fragrance. Paul said, We are a fragrance of Christ unto God among those who are being saved. Have you ever walked into somebody's house and you're just like, Oh, what is that? You might be sitting by them and you're like, oh, I'm not even going to laugh at that because and you're just like, oh. You just don't want to go back because the way it smells. Our life gives off a fragrance. Jesus gave off a fragrance. You know, Jesus gave off a fragrance that the Bible tells us that sinners drew near Jesus, because Jesus smelled like something they had never smelled before. There had been preachers. There had even been other men and women who had claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah. But Jesus had a different smell. 
And so sinners would draw near to hear Jesus speak. That smell was attractive to the lost, but it was off-putting to the religious. Because while the sinner drew near, the religious stayed at a distance. And I'm, I want to say that the fragrance of a ministry matters. The fragrance of a ministry matters. And what I am so grateful for this ministry and this house is that when you come into this house, you feel and you know and you understand and you can smell the fragrance that was on the life of Jesus. That fragrance that said, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, you're welcome here. No matter what your history is, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're even currently going through, God loves you. He desires to be with you. He is for you. And he wants to do something incredible in your life. The doors are open. A seat is available. You're welcome here. And I love that. I love that in this house, everything that I talked about this morning is represented. Deep roots. Significant fruit. Life-changing fruit. Fruit that remains. Fruit that's going to last beyond even your lives. I don't think there's any, should be any worry in your heart as a local church concerning the future of this church. You have pastors that love the next generation. You have leaders that love young people. You have people in this church that believe in what's coming, believe in the people that are coming up and are ready and willing to see God use them for his glory. And one of the things I love about it so much is that those young people aren't going to be perfect. They're going to make some mistakes. But you know what? When you were in your 20s, you weren't perfect. You might be in your 60s and you still ain't perfect. So I love that. There are roots, there's fruit, and there's fragrance. Amen. Amen.